Welcome to Leading at the Point of Sale. I'm John Ockapenny. I'm an industry veteran in the startup world, venture capital, and I'm the CEO of a company called NatureBox. This podcast is dedicated towards leading people and navigating tough headwinds. Whether you're the commander of a large tanker or skipper of a small startup, the decisions you make will be the difference between sinking and sailing into calmer waters. My job is to be curating interviews and the best of the best from Silicon Valley, providing valuable insights and tactics to help you on your journey. Let's get started. Welcome back to Leading at the Point of Sale podcast. Today, my guest is Cheryl Johnson, Chief Human Resource Officer of Paylocity. Paylocity is a software company that is in the business of HR and helping HR professionals. Welcome, Cheryl. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So just to kind of mark where we are in these conversations uh, regarding the pandemic and dealing with it, we are sort of... Johnson & Johnson is being postponed, but we're all getting shots in the arm, or most of us are. We're starting to see the light of at the end of the tunnel. Companies are thinking about coming back. And I was curious, just from your experience, Cheryl, like where what has changed in the last few months, you know, so where we are today from where you might have been two months ago? Yeah, I, it's interesting because it the change I'm seeing right now, it felt like it literally happened overnight. Hmm. And that change is in hiring and the demand hmm. for hiring. Hmm. Um, you know, we've we've basically been hiring this entire time. So we we had a bit of a pause back in April of 2020, right when everything started, and it was mostly because we were just trying to get our workforce ready for being totally remote and dealing with the pandemic. But we never really slowed down our hiring that much. Right. Um, and our ability to hire, it was a little bit easier than normal because there weren't as many people hiring. And then all of a sudden over the past, I wanna say six to eight weeks, we started to see this massive change, not just subtle. It was like a massive decline in, in resume flow. Hmm. Um, we had many candidates having multiple offers at the table dropping out of the interview process because other companies were moving through the process faster. Mm. And so that was our first indication, like, okay, wait a minute, something has changed dramatically. Mm. And, um, and for me connected with a bunch of other HR people in my network to ask them, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Or is there something with how we're recruiting? And it was a consistent across the board. Every HR person I talked to said, holy cow, Something just happened overnight. The floodgates opened. This pent up demand for hiring. Um, and you think about it, you know, this, the whole world went through the same thing at the same time. So yeah. everybody was kind of holding off on hiring at the exact same time. And it was like the, the floodgates opened at the exact same time for every company that was going to start hiring and ramping up again. It's like that springtime sort of like it's a renew a renewal, but we're all we're getting vaccinated and people are just you think getting more comfortable thinking about new positions where they're kind of hunkered down. Is that is that what you're thinking? For sure. So you think if you were gainfully employed during the pandemic, the fear of taking on a new opportunity when you don't know if you're gonna be the whole idea of the last person in, first person out, what will happen? Like no it, it seemed like almost no industry was was left untouched through the pandemic mm. and which is different than the recession. Like you can find different industries that may have still been impacted less than other industries, but this was everybody. So we were seeing 
you know, our, our turnover rate was at a record low in all time history low for the company. Mm. Um, and you were just pretty much seeing that across the board. And so you've got all these people who spent the past year, at least year, um, if they were gainfully employed. And I clarify that because there were many people who lost their job. And so they were in the market looking for yeah. new jobs. Yeah. But if they were gainfully employed, they were pretty much hunkering down. And you think about all the companies that stopped merit increases and 401k matches and pulled back on perks that weren't business critical. So you, you've got that all that together. And now mm. people are coming out of it, the lights at the end of the tunnel, and people are starting to look for new opportunities and matched with the fact that tons of people are hiring. So I've opened opportunities and there's tons of people hiring. Yeah. So this, it's really interesting. There's two sides of the coin. There's sort of this defensive position where you're thinking, okay, I need to kind of like check in with my employees right now. Like, yeah. and, and, but on the, maybe there's, there's, there's sort of an offensive position where like how there's, this is an opportunity to start attracting some other talent that just hit the market. Yes. Yeah. Love Entirely. your thoughts on both sides of those. Like what, what should I be doing as CEO of my company? Just making, or well, maybe it's always good practice to always be checking in and kind of like keeping the pulse of, of uh, the team. Yeah. Okay. So great question. So one of the things that actually it was our head of product and technology started doing recently, and we're starting to slowly adopt it as a best practice throughout different teams in the business. Um, and it's not a new concept, but the, the way he's doing it, I really like is basically stay interviews. So mm. instead of waiting for someone to leave and do that, you know, the, the thing we all know very well is the exit interview. Mm. It's actually checking in with your people and having a stay conversation. And I recently started doing this with my team because I know the market's hot. So I'm sitting down with folks on my team to say, hey, not just like, how are you doing? Where's your head? But like one of the most direct questions you can ask people is what would it take for you to leave the company? Wow. So, right. And then you get right to the core of it would take more money or it wouldn't take much at all. or It would take flexible work or, or whatever. But that, that question, you can't just say, no, I'm good. Everything's great. Interesting. Like sort of like put the elephant on the table, maybe, but that's a look, that's a, you're being pretty vulnerable there, right? That's, that's kind of interesting. Um, yes, but it's also because we, I know what the market's like right now and mm -hmm. I don't want to lose good people. And so mm -hmm. I, and mm -hmm. I don't want to wait for them to come to me with, a job offer and in their mind is already made up. So if, and, and in fact, I've actually had one team member who said, Oh my gosh, I'm actually interviewing right now. So wow. we were able to have a very direct conversation on, you know, is the thing that would make you want to go somewhere else? Is it something we can solve for? And if it is, let's get in front of it. And if it's not, then can we just all be, you know, adults here and recognize that, that it's okay. You may take on another opportunity. It gives me some time to start planning for how I would handle things if you're gone. Yeah. Um, so it, it just becomes a more collaborative conversation instead of a, like, I have to like give you a two week notice and I can't talk to you. It's just, just silly. It's kind of interesting too. Like, cause as a, as a leader, we're always you know, trying to keep the radar open to if, if uh, you know, how people are feeling, getting those clues like on zoom calls could be someone's wearing a college shirt. Uh Oh, like <laughs> they're yeah. interviewing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh. Although it's interesting though, I would say John, because what I found, I've had several openings on my team and I've been interviewing via zoom and for leadership positions. And what I found is people are not dressing up 
the way they would in person on a mm. Zoom interviewing. I mean, they're not wearing their hoodie or, you know, their their most casual zip yeah. up that they have, but they're <laughs> right. certainly it they're not doing the like suit and the most obvious things that would make you know. I guess what might make me notice is if someone actually you know, wasn't wearing a baseball cap or had their hair done and mm. makeup on instead yeah. of being super casual. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so ex- tell us about what how you are thinking about systemically trying to change the way you think about managing people, and how might you be using that in terms of an offensive strategy or a perk to kind of show people that might be thinking about moving. Hey, you know, we're the environment you want to come to. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because pre-pandemic, we had already started this conversation about, you know, what what does the um, the modern employee want and how is that different and why is it different? And we actually, we went back and actually studied the entire history of performance management. So hmm. what was the relationship between the employer and the employee and why did performance management start to begin with and kind of watch the trends over time. And, and certainly there were shifts. Um, there were several areas, eras where it was about uh, motivation and engagement. Um, mm. And then there were areas where it became about compliance and making sure that you had proper documentation in someone's file in the event that um, there was some sort of a claim, um, but certainly shifts throughout the history of performance management. So mm. we took a step back before the pandemic and said, okay, what do we want it to be for us? And how does that connect to the modern employee and their needs? And honestly, we took a little bit of a pause because the pandemic happened and we were so focused on, okay, that's great. We need to actually make sure people feel safe. (laughs) So let's focus on safety, shifting goals, agile planning, um, all of all of the stuff related. And, you know, over the past several months, we've resumed that discussion around, you know, now that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, how are we going to manage our employees? Mm. And we had to manage so differently during the pandemic. Mm. Um, so we've really, you know, kind of looked at that whole, um, I mentioned it before that implicit relationship between the employee and the employer, and that relationship has shifted and it connects to what I just said about actually having a stay interviewing, state interview and being comfortable saying to an employee, like, if there's a reason you would leave, let's talk about it. Mm. You know, you are not forced to be here. Um, so we, we have a unique relationship where it's more about co-creating that experience together. Hmm. And so we're looking at performance management in a shift to more about performance enablement, Hmm. where management was about the manager was responsible for making sure you as an employee are getting your work done. They're managing the work that you're doing. Very traditional way to think about what, what that relationship is. And we're looking at saying, actually, what we really want is we want every employee to achieve their best possible um, self, like their Hmm. best possible performance. That's in our best interest if they can reach that. So what can our leaders and managers do to enable people to perform at their absolute best? And it completely flips the whole thing on its head where you're actually having these coaching conversations that, you know, you look at Marshall Goldsmith actually had um, a book come out several years ago, but he talked about feed forward. Mm -hmm. where you're not just looking backwards, you're actually saying, okay, if you as an employee want to achieve X, X could be more money, more flexibility, status, promotion, whatever it is, you tell me what you want to achieve. 
And I'm going to help you achieve that. And my job is to help you achieve that. Because if you're achieving that and you're performing at your best, in return, the company is doing great. So there's an advantage for both the employee and the employer. That's interesting. So it really, like you, I was keying off the word you said, how can I be my best self? And that's very much the individual's goals. Uh, but aligning that with trying to get the goals and the work done of the company and the employer, you know, you're trying to figure out how those two things line up. And do people just feel, is it, is it you know, I always felt like I'm, you know, I'm the CEO of a company and I've got team. Uh, I, you know, always felt like I was kind of managing to outcomes, but that's slightly different from what you're saying, not just managing to outcomes or saying, here, listen, performance management, it's about achieving some result. It's really the result that's really good for you. Is that what you're saying? Yes-ish, or okay. I should say yes and. Help clarify. <laughs> um, yes, because it does. It also does have to connect to the company goals. Right. So it, it can't be entirely an employee coming in and and it is the sky is the limit here. You can accomplish what you can prioritize whatever you want to prioritize here. Because at the end of the day, you do have a business to run. Yeah. And you are accountable for achieving certain outcomes. So it's about aligning an employee's interests and what they're trying to achieve and what you know their objectives are with what the business objectives are. Sometimes those don't align. And, and those are the times where you have an employee. It's like, I'm going to help you achieve as much as you possibly can here that align also with what the business needs to achieve. At some point, those things may um, meet a fork in the road. And what the employee wants is no longer aligned with what the company wants or mm -hmm. what the what the employee needs is no longer aligned. And and I think that's a really important part of the equation. And sometimes it's it's because the employee wants next and we don't have next for the employee. And that's OK. I think having that real honest conversation be like, hey, you know, the highest or most you can do while you're here based on your skills and based on what our needs are is this, and I'm gonna help you be as great as you can in this capacity. And I'm also gonna have an open, honest conversation about the fact that you may have to move on to another organization to get what you want next. Not because you don't have growth opportunities there, but maybe they're not capable for those growth opportunities. You know, it could yeah. be that. Um, and on the flip side, their performance may not match what you need for the company either. So you need right. certain performance standards. And it's like, they don't, they don't have the aspiration to perform those performance standards and they're not going to be their best self there if your performance standards have certain requirements that they don't want to do either. I imagine, Cheryl, it's important to be able to figure out there's alignment early versus like let that thing linger because then you get into these unproductive loops. Um, but uh, the alignment that you are trying to create is also a skill set, isn't it, by the manager? Doesn't the manager need to have the skill set to create that alignment? Like, yes. <laughs> and so, so how do you, how do you train that? Like, the, what are, and what are the central tenets of that? Uh, I guess is, is that just professional training? What no, is I would actually put, I would categorize into two different buckets. Bucket one is there's something the organization needs to do to establish routines mm -hmm. that support mm. the manager because. The manager enables the employee, the organization enables the manager. So it's this, mm. this virtuous cycle, right? We mm -hmm. all have to. So what routines do you have as a company? And whether you're the CEO or you're the HR leader who's establishing these routines, those routines enable the manager to have those conversations. 
So mm -hmm. meaning, do you have a routine of, of constant feed forward, 360s, um, a one-on-one -on -one check-in process, career development discussions that are ongoing, career mm -hmm. ladders and mapping, um, job mm -hmm. grades, transparency around pay. Do you, do you have those things that really set the manager up for success to have great conversations about enabling performance? Mm -hmm. The second bucket is certainly training, but even that training, you know, it's not um, classic training that managers get, which is how to delegate, how to set goals, um, how to write a good performance review, how to diagnose performance. It's not the, the classic, those things are all useful. It is a mindset training for managers. And mm -hmm. that training is a very important element that managers need to, to shift their thinking, especially if it's someone who's managed traditionally for years. So they, they've always come under that guise of my job is to manage you and make sure you get your outcomes. Um, so there's gotta be a shift in mindset uh, and then for new people, they're a little bit easier because you can kind of train them from scratch and, mm. and teach them how to think about if they're a first time manager, you can kind of teach them from the ground up on what is your role as a manager. Um, and it really is to enable and develop and support your people. But training, yeah. you know, we rolled out um, training last year during the pandemic uh, deliberately on despite everything going on. We're like, wow, what a perfect time to like double down on our managers because through the pandemic, the thing that was needed most is manager intervention. And mm. so we doubled down on management training and a lot of it was focused on mindset and empathy and compassion and support um, and teaching them how to think differently like a leader and a manager. And then secondarily, the kind of core basic classic stuff that you need to know to be a manager. Okay, so Cheryl, I am like this amazing candidate like for your company, right? And you, You're and hired. I have it. <laughs> I'm wearing a collared shirt and I'm on a Zoom with you. And, and uh, uh, tell me like, how would you uh, talk about the results or your culture at Paylocity? Like, you know, at how you're different, right? You know, it's trying to suss it out from like when you're talking to someone maybe I'm experiencing some difficulties with my current employer or, you know, how do you kind of, do you, do you sell that or does it just kind of naturally come out of the, the onboarding or the recruiting process? You know, for us, we aren't um, intentionally selling that. So okay. it's not a, you know, we look at our employment value proposition and we've really anchored into some core messages. Um, one of them is just having a culture of transparency where you're always going to know what's going on, why it's going on and where you stand, mm. um, which is certainly helpful with a results oriented work environment. The second would be support that you're, you're never going to be left hanging. Like we're always going to be there to help you be successful. So mm. we have those tenants within our employment value proposition that we're not explicitly telling people um, that message. I would say as a candidate, the things that you can do to look for that and kind of guess um, mm, if, mm. if an organization, because even if organizations are doing it, they may not have the words around it. So you kind of have to like, you know, ask a few questions to figure out what the mindset and culture is around that is just how do you manage outcomes? It's a simple question and find out what people tell you. Do we have all these KPIs? Do we, you know, monitor calls? <laughs> do we like what what are you doing as an organization to know if people are successful and how do you know? And that, mm. that should give you a pretty good sense 
if the organization is about managing the results that you get or they're managing your time at work and your, you know, how long you're on a call and how quickly you resolve an issue and, um, and, and those type of KPIs. It's probably different per department, right? Like if I'm an engineer yes. versus a salesperson versus an HR person. Yep. Um, you know, how do you manage outcomes? So like, are you managing my time? Are you like micromanaging me? Uh, checking Even in just, with me. Yeah. No, I would tell you, nobody's going to admit to micromanaging because I think most <laughs> micromanagers, they don't- You guys like to micromanage. That would be an awful- They like micromanaging. Yeah. So they think yeah. that's how you manage. It's it's just asking, what? how do you know if someone's doing good? What are the things that you're looking at and monitoring? It's mm. very simple. And then as a candidate, listen. And just, you know, and you'll have to know because some people like being micromanaged. So- They'll be like, that sounds great. <laughs> you have a <laughs> checklist and you're calling me every day to find out what I'm doing. Like, they, But if you listen for what works for you and your style and what would drive engagement for you, you'll you'll hear it with those basic questions. That's interesting. So are you looking for a certain profile person that likes that autonomy, right? Like that's, yes. you know, is there, is there, a, is there a, a pattern or a uh, signature that you look for? There is, so this is something that we've actually been learning through the pandemic because mm. we had, you know, in technology positions, we were always pretty much remote for our technology positions. Um, but we have some service positions and, and other different positions in the organization that used to be only in person. And so, well, and they all had to go remote. And we started learning that we weren't interviewing or selecting for people who are good working on their own in those areas because they never had to. They were always in person. And so it's definitely something that we've started to shift towards is looking for those characteristics of people who are good at managing their own time mm -hmm. um, and people who demonstrate a lot of um, problem solving capabilities. Because if you, if you are in an open environment where you can ask the person sitting right next to you or across the hall what's going on, your problem solving skills may not need to be as developed. But if you're mm. at home by yourself and you have mm. to rely on a chat feature or mm. a quick Zoom, you need to be really good at problem solving. Um, and you need to be someone who is not afraid to ask for help. Mm. And so generally people who are a little bit more reserved and a little bit more passive asking for help may struggle working autonomously at home um, because you're going to have to be able to be comfortable grabbing someone, reaching someone through the Zoom link or through the chat and asking for help. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if like if, if, if you're more of an introverted person, there's still major strength in that though too, but you may not be overtly excited about asking for too much help. I don't know. Yeah, introverts actually can be pretty good at working <laughs> alone because yeah. yeah. they prefer just to communicate. Um, yeah, you know, a little bit more scheduled and a little bit more via you know email or chat, and yeah. um, they they can actually thrive sometimes more than an extrovert who is who is um, energized by being in person with people. What advice would you give? It's it's important for leaders to. Uh, you know, walk the walk, right? And and uh, if you're if you are instilling a, um, a results oriented, you know, work environment, what advice would you have for CEOs like me, like and other CEOs that you know, what are things that they could do, or you know, we could do to kind of be better CEOs in that environment? Yeah, that's I love that question because it actually 
really is important for it to start right at the top. Mm. Um, it's very difficult for a line level leader to manage just results and outcomes if the the folks at the top are managing differently. So mm -hmm. it's very helpful because it all cascades down. So if you're managing your direct reports to a certain um, outcome and way of managing, they're going to manage their people that way. And it's going to keep kind of trickling down. Right. Um, so the first thing, and this is the thing I think we all as leaders struggle with, uh, myself included, because it takes a lot more thinking and time to do, is know what reasonable outcomes someone should be capable of performing in the standard amount of time that you give them. Hmm. What do yeah. those outcomes look like? Um, and we don't do that well. We kind of manage to activity. Um, and, and I don't want to call it busy work because it's not busy work, but activity. And so if, if you don't know what you need someone to be able to deliver and how long it should probably take, it's, it's hard to actually manage just to results. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So the, the, the things that come to my mind, Cheryl, is, okay, I'm not necessarily an engineer. I don't know exactly what it takes to kind of go from point A to point B in this project. Um, but I want to push, right, to, you know, is, it, is there, like, how do I decipher where it's taking weeks and weeks and we're actually losing ground to the competition versus, and, and motivating through, like, urgency in a certain de degree to kind of align and get, get you know get as much out of a short period of time versus like, oh yeah, okay, this is going to take a few months and that's okay. Like there's that balance, right? Of like, we really wanted to motivate and get, get things done. I think of like a Steve Jobs out there, like, you know, maybe scaring his people. I don't know. That's not helpful either, but no, yeah. Um, you know, that balance. Well, I would say even to that. So let's say you are, um, you're a leader and you've got all these different functions beneath you, some of which, you know, the job because you've done it and that was your upbringing. So you kind of yeah. know how long it takes to do something. Right. Um, like for me, I, I started my HR career in recruiting. So I, I have a really good sense of what it takes to, yeah. um, you know, get a position posted and interview and get a position filled. But some of the other functions underneath me, like let's say benefits management, I'm not entirely sure how long it takes to resolve a benefits claim that comes through because I haven't physically mm -hmm. done that work myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have, so on my team, I have a multimedia function, which is basically video production because mm -hmm. we build content that, you know, is consumable externally. And I've, I've never managed a <laughs> multimedia function or video production function. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a leader come in who was responsible for that team who also had never technically managed that function. So how to actually get into an area that you aren't the expert in, you don't totally know what it takes. Um, you know, in the way he approached, it, I loved it. And I've given this advice to several other people is he got right in and just actually asked them to take him through their routines, their project planning, or the whole step that they take to decide from point A to point Z, why they made those different decisions. And he was doing it as a process, not every single time. So he's like, just help me understand how you make these determinations and, and how you make decisions. And when you decide to do this versus that. So he understood their workflow. And mm -hmm. then he had a much better way going forward of knowing exactly where to ask the questions that were at the trigger points of time. Like, okay, that's the point where that's really going to jack up the time. So I'm going to ask about that thing, not the 25 other steps that are going on, as well as not just staying completely out of it and just, you know, managing butts and seats every day. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So you want to know the detail to help inform, but then you got to step back and let them go execute, get the results. (laughs) You don't want to be diving back into those details because then you're not, then you're not results only. So uh, remote. Yeah. Wonderful. Cheryl, this has been a fantastic conversation. Is there any other parting thoughts if you think about the next six months for you folks in terms of what's really important? If uh, you were to leave a message for other HR professionals uh, and or leaders of companies, what things they, they might want to be thinking about? Yeah, I, you know, to me, it's really recognizing that you cannot go back to how things were pre-pandemic. There, there is a, a, you know, a reason this pandemic lasted so long, I think from an employee experience and, and um, organizational perspective that we can we can use the gift of that length, the fact that it lasted so long that we, mm. it's impossible to go back. And I consider it like the whole concept of like burning the boats, like we've burned the boats and we need mm. to start managing our workforce differently. And the pandemic just kind of forced us, it kind of kicked us in the, the rear and, and made us start thinking about our workforce differently all at the same time. So for those organizations who are thinking, oh good, it's over, now I can go back to the way I was always doing it you you will be left in the dust you you will not be able to retain talent um and if you do it may not be the best talent like you're going to lose your best talent and retain um the the rest of the the workforce um so you really have to start leaning in and thinking about how you can be the workforce of the future and and you know for instance the remote work companies who fully had to do entirely remote so go, the idea of telling all your employees they have to go back exactly to how it was before working five days, Monday through Friday in the office is just, it's just not going to help you <laughs> retain yeah. people, but yeah. maybe you don't go back to keeping it entirely remote. You say, Hey, we're going to ask you to come in three days a week instead, um, and find some middle ground of maintaining some of the benefits and perks of what we learned and, and trying to move towards the future. Awesome. Cheryl, that was a great conversation. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I'd love to, you know, follow up and see how things are going in, in, a, in a number of months from now. But thank you for your time. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. One final note before we cast off is I want to thank our sponsors, which is NatureBox, dedicated to providing engagement, wellness snacks that can reduce stress in one's body using adaptogenic plant-based ingredients, and services to really help HR departments and executives motivate their teams with these wonderful perks at home. Don't take it from us. Take it from some of our big customers, Google, Facebook, and others. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.